Welcome to Work in Progress, an exploratory podcast hosted by the Art Gallery of Greater Victoria, where you will hear from artists, curators, gallery staff, collaborators, and even different hosts as you listen to each episode. This podcast was produced on the traditional territories of the Lekwungen-speaking peoples, also known as the Songhees and Esquimalt Nations. In this episode, we hear from Gaetan Verna, Director of the Power Plant in Toronto, and Sarah Milroy, Chief Curator at the McMichael Canadian Art Collection, as they discuss the exhibition they curated, Denise Tomasso's Odyssey. Organized by the McMichael and on display at the Art Gallery of Greater Victoria from December 11th, 2021 until March 13th, 2022. Joining the two curators is Victoria-based award-winning novelist S.A. Dugin, who provided a written contribution to the exhibition publication. We were thrilled to host this exhibition in Victoria and provide an opportunity for our community to learn about the work of Trinidadian Canadian artist Denise Tomasos, whose contribution to Canadian art was exceptional. Her work often took the form of large-scale paintings or murals that were vibrant and layered not only in their material application, but in their themes and content as well. This conversation offers a window into Tomasso's work from a range of perspectives. Verna, who had been following Tomasso's career from the early 2000s and had worked with her over the years before her untimely passing in 2012, brought an intimate take on the trajectory of Tomasso's artistic practice. Milroy, as a curator and art critic, provides the context of how Tomasso's work stands out within the larger scope of Canadian art, while Adugian, who it is apparent felt a strong connection to the artist and her work, had just been introduced to Tomasso's through this project. We hope you enjoy the following conversation. That's wonderful. This is just, I, I have to say, what an incredible thrill it is finally to meet you, Essie. It was, it was this like leap into the void that Gaetan and I were like, you know, it would be really great, you know, would be if we could get Essie to it. It was like, no way. But then it happened. So we're so, so grateful to you for being willing to, you know, fit us into your life and your world and your very, very busy writing schedule. It has made such a difference. It's it's expanded so much our understanding of the work and and the and the public that buys this publication have a real a real treat in store. So thank you again. No, thank you for inviting me to take part. I was so um, you know, surprised and and so happy to be asked because I I really haven't done anything like this before, done that kind of writing. And it, it just gave me an opportunity to to really commune with uh, with Denise's work. And I really feel like there's, um, I just felt such a kinship with her work and even with her life story, uh, which intersects uh, with my own in so many ways. And so it was a real pleasure uh, to be a part of this. It was just so great. Um, I thought it best, um, Gaetan, to start with a, a wonderful picture of Denise, because you're the only person here, I think, on this call that knew her. And this picture seems to tell us a lot about her. And I'm just curious how you how you see this picture, what it tells us about this incredible, this incredible lady. Wow. Well, thank you, Sarah. And it's so nice to meet you, Essie. And I, I can tell you that Denise was a fierce woman. She was an avid reader and she would have been so proud to have you, you know, oh, yeah. and such a beautiful text about her work with so much insight um, about, you know, what some of the things she was thinking and uh, you would have been fast friends and uh, she would have given you advice on your entire life because that's the type <laughs> of person she was. So when I see her picture, I, I am filled um, with uh, so much emotion, even to this day. 
And so the first time I met Denise's work was really because it was around a year 2000 and there was all of these projects that the Canada Council had, you know, created specific grants for. And so um, I received a postcard uh, which had like this incredible abstract painting with a lot of, of lines and different colors. And I don't know if it looked like a kinty clot or if it was a series of shutters or I don't know what I was looking at. And then I received this postcard and I pinned it to the wall in my office and I left for maternity leave and came back a year later and the postcard was still on my wall and started thinking about, okay, I don't like a lot of painting that really speaks to me, but I don't know this artist, but this really speaks to me. And um, uh, the person who had replaced me during my maternity leave says, well, why don't you reach out to her? And then I start Googling a bit and I'm, um, and I'm, um, Actually, I don't know if we use Google at the time, sorry, but researching on the on Denise and only to suddenly realize that, you know, this incredible Canadian artist had such, you know, I'd received like Guggenheim Fellowship, Pew Fellowship. I mean, you know, worked, uh, studied in Toronto, but then did an MFA at Yale. And I was just like mesmerized by her. And basically I sent her an email, introduced myself and told her that I wanted to do an exhibition of her work. She emailed me back and said, well, I don't really want to show my paintings. I would like to do a site-specific exhibition because she also understood from the get-go that, you know, there are works you do in a in a commercial gallery. And then there's works that you do in a, let's say museum setting. And so she very much wanted to have the opportunity of working um, with um, at Bishop's University. Um, so she had done a show in Austria with David Hammonds and Ed Clark and Stanley Whitley, um, where she had done two walls. She had done some walls in her uh, commercial gallery um, in New York, but she had never taken over an entire space. And really what we started, and we have to bring ourselves back. We did this show in 2004. So you have to remember in 2001, there's all the events around 9-11. Denise starts traveling at that same time. Mm -hmm. And then as she's traveling, it seems that there's constantly war and, and, and uh, you know, like war and, and a lot of contention in the world. And yet when we start thinking of what project we could do, she's thinking of home. And when she speaks of home, she's thinking of Trinidad, Tobago. She's thinking of a, a house that was a shared home by her family, which all of her um of her aunts and uncles and her mom would always talk about this house. And so really we, um, we started speaking about what could be a project that was suitable for, for Bishop's university. Um, and this project became a two-part project. One part was at Bishop's and the second part was at Mount St. Vincent university. And so um, our part was 30 years in Canada um, and 30 years in Trinidad. So on the one hand, we had, um, a painting, the whole walls of the gallery, you had a section that really presented the floor plan of that house, imagined by each member of the family. Then you had a rendition of the structure, architectural structure of the house, where which chair, the TV, the radio, all of these very familial objects, you know, from interviews she had done with her aunties and her uncles and her mom and her. And then on this space that we see, which brings so much emotion 
to me. It was she had the backdrop of the architecture and then it was her free flowing painting in that space and showing us how and for those of you who have seen the exhibition it is that same emotion that you see all around uh, the, uh, the walls of the of the galleries everybody was so taken by the work and was mesmerized by by the works and everybody was like why are you painting over these walls you must keep them and it's like well no this is part of the idea we have to let them live you know the walls are the palimpsest and and I always think whenever I go to bishops because my daughter's there I like touch the wall and think oh somewhere in the layers there is that work you know that inhabits mm -hmm. the space and 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 stuff so um it was a really important show mm -hmm. for her and we did um we did a small publication where we um i did an interview with her we had franklin sermon who's now the director of the pam perez art museum we also had um oh my god now i forget her name um famous trinidadian uh author but um Sorry, I will come to me. We had different authors, you know, writing about yeah. about uh, Norbesi Phillips no, wrote about about uh, about Denise and and Franklin and myself. And I think that the day Denise died, because unfortunately she passed away in 2012, and with her gallery we did a small memorial. And um, my emotion when when I saw that the book we did was the only solo mm -hmm. publication that had been done on Denise. And believe you me, when I was at Bishops, we had no money. And so this was really pulling resources with my colleague, um, uh, Ingrid Jenkins and making it happen and providing an artist with some kind of, of documentation of the two, the two uh, projects. So the beat goes on because we then, all these years later, Gaetan, I came back and asked you to help me again. We had just we had just acquired this very, very large scale and beautiful work for the McMichaels collection. And nothing like it in our collection, needless to say, there is nothing like it anywhere on earth. And it just seems to me to capture the kind of incredible spirit in the work that, that it's both this kind of, everything's barely holding together, um, but there's also a sense of momentum, like it's, it's going somewhere. And there's a kind of, just I think from the sheer force of the creativity in it, that sense of imagination and creativity, there is this sort of feeling of, of hope, I think, that, you know, that you get from that. And I, we, in part of our courtship dance with Essie, I will disclose that we sent this painting to her in Victoria to live with as part of the enticement for joining us in, in the book. Not something she asked for, needless to say, but it just seemed to me, how can you appreciate this painter, if you don't get a chance to experience the tactility of the thing and the way the painting's put together. So maybe, Essie, you can tell me about living with this and and kind of where the journey took you. Yeah, so, um, I mean, I was delighted to be asked to take part in this. Uh, Denise Tomasis was not an artist whose work I was uh, you know, very familiar with. Uh, when I was asked, so I was you know, really happy, uh, first of all, to be introduced. Uh, to a new painter, uh, but that the work was so powerful for me. It really spoke to me. And I remember um, being sent at first JPEGs uh, of her pieces um, and getting the JPEG of Odyssey and just being so blown away by it. But, you know, in receiving this piece in the mail and, and unwrapping it, and I have to initially 
I had set it down and it was the wrong side up. Uh, and, you know, I, I recognized immediately this, you know, that I had to turn it and, and that um, there was this sense of, of great, like a tension between a kind of stasis in her work, uh, but also a, a powerful sense of movement. And you feel this immediately uh, when you're in the presence of, of one of her pieces, you're, you're struck by this, this strange uh, tension and, and I mean, when you first look at it, it's it's a series of lines. There's uh, the abstraction really stands out, um, the sense of color, mm -hmm. uh, sense of balance. And then your eye is immediately seeking to make uh, to make sense or to 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 shape things in, into something. And what is it that you see? And initially, what I saw was a coffin. Mm. like a, a really old sort of handmade kind of 19th century back of a cart. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Back of a cart uh, that you would roll the coffin in, you know, onto the carriage. And, 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 and so I had this sort of a more, I guess, a darker, a more sort of morbid, uh, a more kind of um, sense of reaching deep into history. Uh, all of these, uh, I guess all of these sensibilities and all of these meanings were, were coming at me. But then I also, you know, the longer I stared at it, the more I could begin to feel a kind of transformation taking shape. And what I saw then was a kind of uh, like a boat, like a fisherman's um, boat. And I could see suddenly uh, up in the left-hand corner, I could envision you know, that we have a sort of abstract stripe that that could be a bird uh, in, in the blue sky there. And, mm. and that what we are seeing is something that has movement and that's something that uh, comes out of, um, you know, if we think of, I'm from the West Coast, so when I think of boats, I think of leisure. Uh, and that's something that's, you know, quite a bit lighter uh, than, than the coffin that I was initially envisioning. And so I, I loved that. I loved that there was this, this aliveness and this life and this movement uh, that was kind of, um, I guess, counterbalanced by a sense of, um, you know, of, of weight. Gravity. Um, yeah, gravitas. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And that this was something mm -hmm. that um, that kept shifting for me. It, it sort of depended on my mood. Um, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes see a yeah. boat, sometimes see a coffin. And her work is so just replete with so many different meanings. And and, and so much of what you see, I guess, is it's all there. I think, I think all of these meanings uh, are intentional and left to coexist and, and, and that that's something that is very unique about her work is that you have these, these very, very uh, disparate things that are constantly in tension. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things too, you mentioned in your essay that I know Gaetan and I both were really struck by, it's like, that's so clear. It's right there. And we sort of hadn't realized it is the fact that she's dealing with, with you know, certain themes in black history, like the middle passage and so on, but there's no bodies present. Yep. And you made a really interesting point about that. Can you talk about that for a minute before we, before we move on? Cause it was just sure. great insight. Yeah. Um, I mean, you see it in this piece, but you also see it. Uh, if we could look at Odyssey again, that would be, that would be great. Yeah. Because I, move us back. Yeah, so this is a piece where, you know, I look, when I looked at it, I saw kind of like a, a shipping vessel of some sort mm -hmm. carrying, uh, 
you know, carrying whatever it is, like containers. Uh, but then I also could see within it something more static, which was like a neighborhood. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, you know, these are buildings within a very congested neighborhood. And uh, I was struck by the way that um, we have a sense of, if it's a neighborhood, we have a sense of the homes and the businesses and everything, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that I guess, give structure to our lives, uh, but that it's completely bereft of people. Um, there's never, I mean, she's not a figurative painter, so her subject is not the body, but we feel the resonances of that absence. Like, like you know, for instance, when she's painting um, something that resembles a, sort of a, the prison industrial complex uh, or something that resembles a slave ship, mm-hmm. uh, what we're getting is, is the structure um, the thing that contains us. Uh, and that thing is sometimes something that offers um, refuge or, or solace. You know, you think of burial grounds. Uh, and sometimes it's something that is very oppressive yeah. uh, and, th- and that seeks to, you know, imprison us. Uh, mm. uh, but we don't, you know, we don't have, you know, we don't have the slave, we have the slave ship. Uh, we mm. don't have um, the prisoners. We have usually what looks like blueprints uh, for mm. a prison. And, and I, mm. I thought that that was really remarkable that we have, I guess, these very, what's the way to put it? We're seeing what's been made by the human hand, but but we're not seeing the human. And yeah. so there's been so much of, um, you know, I was looking with the Massey lecture at the history of Black representation, specifically within 18th and 19th century portraiture. Mm-hmm. And, and how that changed going into the 20th century. Uh, I mean, we initially sort of had these figures who were mostly slaves or um, when they weren't actual slaves, just, I guess, ideas of, of um, represented ideas of slave life. Um, and or we have, you know, figures who are uh, connected to Christianity in some way. We have you know, Magi. We have these very, uh, very sort of specific sets of figures which are repeated throughout uh, these centuries. And, and it seems like Blackness is reduced to certain tropes. Mm-hmm. And as we come into the 20th century, that starts to shift, uh, especially at the end of the 20th century, when you see, um, you know, artists like, Kehinde Wali, for instance, um, I guess he's a 21st century artist, just kind of um, taking those tropes and subverting them. Um, But I think Tomasos is is also subverting those tropes, but how she's doing it is by showing us, you know, the structures uh, that contained these bodies rather than showing us in a kind of uh, more... Literal way, yeah. Literal way, but also I think the word I'm looking for is like, exploitative way or yeah. exploitative way mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. these bodies and so it, here is a piece that that we're happy to say is going to be shown at the whitney biennial in oh. april it's an epic work that is i don't know how big is it Gaetan, 20 feet long yeah it bigger. Was, yeah it took like uh the entire wall in your gallery yeah. and i and i would say that that essie what you when denise started working she was always First of all, as a person, she was very politically inclined. She, when she was at university, she did figurative work when she was at uh, at Sheridan College. And um, she was always, so the body, the black body in her early works was very, very present. And then when she goes to Yale, she removes the body because she really wants to use structure and color to express the presence and containment without having to represent 
the body, which is really interesting when we look at now the fact that it seems that, you know, every day you discover another, you know, amazing African or African-American painter and every gallery has these incredible painters that are, you know, representing the Black body in a different way than how it was represented before. But Denise, you know, much like artists like Stanley Whitley, you know, or Ed Clark, they were that group of artists who chose abstraction as this way of gaining a certain freedom in what you can express without showing, without like this exploitation of uh, the Black trauma or the Middle Passage, without having to show these bodies, without having to show how a jail or a ghetto or how all of these structures of containment oppress your soul, your body, Yet with her, um, her you know, masterful way of painting and expressing, uh, and then also the poetry of the title, because displaced burial or burial at Gore, I mean, you know, whether you understand what that means and what it represents, you you feel like you're, you know, in layers and layers of history. And even though the bodies are not present, it's like the, mm-hmm. the painting yeah. is haunted. Like through Denise's way of painting, she is um, she's expressing those presents. Can I ask a, a question? Because you knew her. Um, was there kind of a, like a moment where like a strong schism, like she just sort of felt very intensely that she was not going to paint figuratively anymore? Was it or, or was it kind of more um, sort of more nuanced transition where she sort of had a, an in-between period or I, I'm kind of curious. I think that it really happened when she went to Yale, you know, to to because Denise was very like she was driven. She was focused. She wanted to be an artist. She wanted to be a professional artist. She wanted to teach. And I think when she when, you know, she leaves Toronto, goes to Yale, being in that context, you know, a top art school and wanting to understand a conceptual art, conceptual painting, wanting to move away from representation or feeling that she needed to move away to expand her understanding of um, of of the world or of her own practice. It's really that's at that moment that the shift happens. So, was there a particular teacher uh, that she studied under that you know that sort of would have helped her to sort of understand I, that this is the place that she wanted to move to? I think that from what I remember and in talking with different people who knew her, um, because Yale was so competitive, she kind of observed the others, you know, and was also reading a lot. And um, and then I, I think decided that I don't want to put words in her mouth because actually I never asked her that question specifically. So I'm just telling you what I've been able to recollect. It was kind of this thing like, And probably you have to think that, you know, a black woman painter uh, at Yale and and also, you know, figurative painting in those years is probably not where it's at. Because remember, there was the shift of the death of painting and and all of that. So I think she really very much thought I need to be a conceptual artist. I need to be an artist that goes beyond the representational, you know, but how does and and to use forms and shapes to express a presence, but also to um create a production of works that cannot be just boxed in to a simple reading to expand the reading of her work outside of the scope of 
I'm representing, you know, so that there's multiple readings, which in a sense also um, enables us, enables her to expand the reach of her work. And so there's a sense of um, uh, staying underground, right? You, you, you love the abstraction of this work, but do you really know what you're looking at and not having to reveal inside of a painting, yeah, you know, everyone. everything and having you feel this- it. I mean, but, you know, the difference between this piece lying on the floor and this piece, piece up on the wall. I mean, when Gaetan and I were installing this, I think both of us felt like we'd never really been in a situation where when the work is moves from being flat or tipped against the wall mm-hmm. to being up on the wall, that it was like a complete, you, know, like we, you had to kind of step back. It was yeah. like the force of this thing made you feel actually like you couldn't quite get your footing. It was, there's such a vortex of, of movement and it was really, really visceral. And right after this, she starts looking at these um, works that sort of suggest weaving and cloth. I think that uh, Gaetan's mentioned Kente cloth before and her interest in Caribbean textiles from, from her Trinidadian background, but it quickly like starts to move and there starts to be this sense of a kind of cyclone type type of feeling that we're, we're swept up in something. And, you know, at home in Tianjin, at the, around this point, she's starting to travel. As Denise, um, Gaetan has told us after 9-11, she had this kind of moment of, oh, my God, I don't understand the world at all. Um, I need to get out there. And she did traveling in China. And I can't remember all the places she traveled. Gaetan, she maybe. Did China, like Eastern Africa, China. Africa, and yeah, and yeah. I would say also because she's from um, because she's from Trinidad and because her family has Indian, Black, Chinese, I mean, Mm-hmm. You can she sets out to connect with all the parts that are, you know, she is the sum of those parts. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I think you feel that movement. You feel that she's on a quest. Yeah. And one thing I want to tell you, Essie, is that between um, to answer to go back to your question is that that I forgot to mention is she's living in Philadelphia teaching. And she decides that she wants to live in New York and she wants a job in New York. And that burial at Gore is part of a whole series of large scale black and white paintings that she makes going, this is my ticket to leave Philadelphia and to go to New York. So she imagines already in her mind, sets a course for herself and starts within a few months to just produce these large scale paintings. And they're massive um, all of a sudden. You all know? of them, you know, mm-hmm. and there's a sense of urgency, but there's also like a sense of wanting to be ambition, ambition and this mm-hmm. empowered artist that is like, I'm setting my goal for New York and this is what's going to get me um, uh, uh, to New York. So there's, so that period of the black and white is Mm -hmm. definitely also a shift. And now she is going to be in New York in the most major, major way. I mean, it's just so very sad that she's not here to see her paintings go up on the wall at the Whitney museum, but, um, we'll have to just go down there and shout to heaven for her. But, you know, this is typical of the kind of confusion you were talking about essay essay about is it you know are these coffins are these huts you know are these containers like what are we looking at here yeah and it's interesting just flipping through the slides because we have this sort of style that's informing 
um, places like this is the the Dogon Caves, uh, mm -hmm. but a similar sort of uh, stylistic um, blueprint look uh, to the Tianjin piece and mm -hmm. the Jodhpur rooftops, uh, which kind of maybe suggests that this sense of claustrophobia, yeah, and then the sense yeah. of, um, <clears throat> of human structures as being something maybe like just that th this is a global feeling this feeling yeah, is it do the structures in society and architecture yeah. be like a metaphor for that are they are they shelter do they provide shelter to us or confinement or both yeah, you exactly. know but in all societies which yeah. is interesting and she was always interested in vernacular architectures you know so there's a there's a a sense of um of you know this this humble dwelling um, to the skyscrapers, to the, you know, the ports, um, you know, these, these paintings that she's done of, of different ports, but there's always that shape. And I, I, um, I always feel that because, you know, if you, if you analyze her work from beginning to end, this, um, you know, the coffin, uh, the containment, the structure is really the key to everything, you know, and it's as if you think of, what is the origin of of the the, the black uh, uh, experience? Or if we go more precisely, what is the origin of of Denise's experience in the world? It goes back to somebody being taken away from homeland in Africa. You know, put on a uh, uh, put in first in a prison or in contained space, then on the slave ship. And then, you know, plantation and all of this. So it's as if this is what is permeates everything that she's thinking of, you know, and then this this idea that she moves from the slave ship to the ghetto. And then if we think of the narrative of the black body, of how there are more, um, you know, um, let's say, um, you know, after the end of slavery, there are more black folks in jails than you know, then um, during the the slave the time of slavery, how America has constantly you know haunted you know black bodies to contain them, whether it is physically or in their minds, and so she's constantly searching at this. And and I remember when she started this whole research on uh, military, um, not military, but mass, you know, uh, carceral. And I was thinking, why is she going there? Like just me thinking, you know, and to see how, you know, years later, we see all these movies that are really documenting how this was another way to contain black bodies, you know. And so, point out to the to the audience that the picture we're looking at here from 2003 is based on this idea of the panopticon or the the prison structure that is designed for surveillance of in many in many cases, black bodies that are they're imprisoned and she turns it into this kind of cyclone spin um, that she then infuses with all these extraordinary colors. But, you know, it's, uh, there's a number of works like this in the, in the exhibition, like surveillance is another one, but, you know, I understand Gaytan from you that she would do extensive research on incarceration of black men and women. And she would go like down these research rabbit holes. But yeah. then the solution, the expression of it would come to be very somatic. Yeah. And I think also what's really interesting with Denise, she would work in her studio. She would 
she would work simultaneously on large scale paintings and small scale paintings, mm -hmm. all of them aligned together. Huh. And is that, did she talk about that as being something that she really needed to do, that she, that, that balance needed to be there for her to create, or was it just like, why do you feel she did that? Or did she? Speak oh, this is, this is her studio, uh, one of her studio assistant that I interviewed and she, she just told me this is how Denise worked. So, and also you have to think as an artist who was thinking of, I need a practice that's my, let's say my own, but also I need to think of, you know, what I can sell in a gallery. Yeah. So to constantly think of how to be strategic while still expressing that same emotion on different scales. Right. Um, sorry, is it is it more difficult to sell or to have a gallery take a larger piece? Is this... Well, I mean, large space pieces, who's going to buy those pieces? And, and then if people want to live with the work, so you think, and in her, in her shows, you always had some large pieces, mediums pieces, small pieces. So this balancing act, but when I found out that she would, when she did a series, she would work on different, on different scales. Okay. I was like, I'm like, God, she's so smart. It's like, she's, she's yeah. really thinking. I think the incredible thing is, and we looked at it at the very beginning, Essie, when we we're looking at the the painting that you lived for through a while, and there was one other little slide after that where the black boat mm. shape is going up in the corner. I can tell you, like walking through the show and looking at those paintings, the little ones they pack a punch. Like uh, it, it's that formal capacity that she has, coupled with the skill with color. Mm -hmm. Like it's almost like she's trying to see how much she can, how much like you know, explosive dynamite she can pack into the smallest possible container because they're not, they're not less impactful than the big works. I mean, something like Burial at Gore is environmental mm -hmm. in scale, so obviously that has a kind of vertiginous effect on you. You can't even kind of get your bearings, you know. Yeah, I, I would fully agree. And and maybe it's kind of, um, if you think of it in terms of writing, it's the balance between like writing a short story, mm -hmm. which has certain principles and, and moves, mm -hmm. tends to move more swiftly than a novel and, you know, can still pack a whole world in, but in a much more contained uh, uh, way. Uh, whereas a novel more kind of um, has maybe a little bit more space and more languorous and, and takes more time. And so I'm curious, uh, having made that analogy, uh, just how long it, it would have taken her to complete, uh, for instance, the piece, the smaller piece that I wrote about uh, versus something like um, Burial at Gore. Like, did she spend years on, on that massive uh canvas or like how did how what was her process like in terms of I think that series as I said the burial at Gore it was part of a slew of works that she did because okay. she okay. wanted to get a job in New York you know but I would say that she could work really fast and also the type of painting that she uses is very liquid you know so she's not working in oils so it's really, it, it dries fast. And then also she always has layers of work. And then she would, um, her studio um, assistant was saying that how sometimes like the piece, which unfortunately I forget the title, um, the piece that's at, um, at U of T, mm -hmm. that piece, it she had it in her studio for many, many years. And then sometimes, you know, she would add stuff to it. And it's a very colorful piece, right? So that one I would say is kind of like, a world in itself, which mm. was present in the space while she was doing other series of work. I'm just really curious too, I mean, Essie, having 
you know, stepped back to write the Massey lectures and considered, you know, Denise in the context of so many other artists that you were thinking about, do you, do you have a sense now of what's distinctive about what she's given, what she's given us? I mean, probably what I mentioned earlier, just this sense of of um, dealing with with the black body or with black experience in a way that is um, not wholly abstract, but anti. Uh, it's non-figurative, non-figurative, yeah, non-figurative, but not abstract. Yes, exactly. That is yeah. exactly uh, how I would have put it if I uh, wasn't at a loss for words. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I think the other thing is too that you know and Gaetan and I talked a little bit about this in the interview that we did that that there is this feeling in all of these works really about rootlessness you know about these these cities seem to sort of be suspended mm-hmm. and to not really kind of drive their pylons down into anything fixed and I I wondered aloud with Gaetan if that maybe spoke to some aspect of diasporic you know, experience that everything is floating and contingent and could change and could move, you know? Yeah, a sense of unrootedness or um, what do you say? In, in Germany, they would say like a, a lack yeah. of homeliness um, yeah. uh, or a sense of home, uh, um, which I, I think is very much kind of at the heart of diasporic experience. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, definitely. Because we never, we never quite know where we're from. Our names are not our names because, you know, our names were given names. Um, I mean, people whose family are, you know, from the diasporic uh, like um, tradition, you know, like my last name is Verna, but I come from Haiti. So where's that Verna? You know, my ancestor was brought to Haiti. So Verna Mm -hmm. is probably not my my real name, you know, um, mm-hmm. or my mom's last name is Lanier and Lanier is a, is, it was the name of the plantation owner. So what was the name? So you kind of, even, even a name that's your name, except Gaetan, which I know my parents gave me, but mm-hmm. the last name is not, there's nothing that grounds you in certainty mm-hmm. of who you are and where you, where are your roots? You know, when people say, where are your people from? I mean, I can say Haiti, but then again, you know, what came after? And I've always found that, and even in Denise's work, this yearning to search, to go to India, to go to China, to, you know, to go um, to East Africa, to like try to set forth, to figure out what she can tease of what she thinks makes who she is without formally being able to like pin down. And so... I think that when we think of of her her search for identity in a certain sense, and we couple that with the works, there is that sense of floating. You know, you never know. You're always between seas because somehow you were taken away from one shore and brought to another. And then you also have to think that not only did she leave, you know, that history, but then she lives leaves Trinidad and then goes to Toronto, you know, at and then goes to Yale and then goes to New York. Then that's yeah. it. So there's this constant, you know, she's she's not she's not African American, you know, and she's of the Caribbean. And with everything that that entails, you know, this archipelagos of identity, and then you add the layer of Toronto, which is another transition. So I think that that. Um, it, it feels like all of that is, you know, part of 
the type of painting she does where nothing is fixed. It's always kind of floating, even though she's talking about structures. Yeah, but they're not rooted. Mm-hmm. No, I, I I agree. There is this, um, I think initially you're hit with the sense of claustrophobia. You've got those strong, powerful lines and you've got the chaos of them as they're intersecting. And, and sometimes this is done a little bit off kilter. And, and so it's, um, you know, it's... Uh, Disorienting. Um, mm-hmm. Really disorienting. Uh, but then, you know, as you settle into it and, and you really start to notice things, there just seems to be uh, in, in a lot of the the, um, the paintings that I observed, a kind of um, exit point uh, in each of these structures. And whether that's, um, you know, a series of buildings that seem to not have roofs. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's a sense of, of, uh, uh, of being able to escape. Uh, whether that's, you know, a coffin that seems to have an open lid, like these kinds of things where you have both the the sense of containment and oppression, uh, but also the possibility of an exit. Um, and I, I think that that's something that's so beautiful uh, in her work. You have all of these these resonances, um, but the possibility of hope, uh, mm-hmm. you know, is what remains. Yeah. And I would say to second that, that even if you look at the work like burial, like Gore, and, you know, there's a light somewhere that feels mm-hmm. like there's something that's taking you out of the frame. So it's not like a gloomy, I mean, the title says it, but at the same time, there's a sense of a light that lives on beyond it's as if regardless of the condition there is the soul that goes beyond the frame of the painting and so in her works as you know you you never quite know if you're in a in a realistic space or you know um uh, or in an open landscape but there's always this play with light that pulls the eye of the the viewer to a corner and there's this sense of escape you know there's always a diagonal that's like pulling you outside of the frame of the painting and that could be what creates to the viewer the sense of hope you know and momentum um, the term humanity and I think mm-hmm. you know it's one of the things that's so powerful about her work is that Obviously, it's coming very much out of this experience of the Black diaspora. But when we look at the kind of forced migrations, whether it's because of climate change or political unrest in parts of the world, Syria, Afghanistan, et cetera, the world is just on the move and there are no pylons driving down into the rock, you know, it seems. And so it just with each passing year, her work becomes more and more profoundly urgent for us to understand how we move into this 21st century of ours and, you know, pr- preserve our humanity and preserve our way of life and, and safety and, and shelter and, and so on. So, you know, it's, it's comes out of a very specific personal history, but it speaks, I think, really broadly. Mm-hmm. And I think also that the sense of hope, I mean, if you think, you know, of the experience, the lived experience of the enslaved people, you know, you have to have hope to like, you know, make it every day, then have children not knowing if they would still be your own, they would be taken away. And then still, you know, when we think of people like Harriet Tubman or Frederick Douglass, this notion of hope of wanting to escape and of creating your own imagination, you know, whether it is through songs, dance, um, um, you know, finding kingship, in a very brutal atmosphere, you know, and still, I always think the idea of bearing children still, you know, there's a sense of hope. You, you, 
you give birth not knowing what tomorrow is made and then you you um you you risk your life escaping to the north to to freedom because you believe there's something else for you no matter what and so i always have so much respect for all of these people and even you know i was looking at the um when you look at the images from people fleeing afghanistan it's like these people know the urgency of needing to leave yet bringing their children not being you know they're afraid but they know that this is part of humanity the sense of survival no matter no matter the fact that you don't know what's in front of you but mm. you push through and i think that's also those types of emotions that are that are very evident in in yeah. denise's work you know and then sarah i think it was your son who said when he was looking at burial at gore yes he said it reminded him of Guernica. Yeah. Just just about the same size, right? But the main panel of it and uh that sense of like everything's upside down and everything's moving and this it's black and white but it still manages to have all this incredible expressive force and the graphic component in Picasso in that work to, you know, create this kind of nightmare, you know, world that is also so visually compelling you can't sort of tear your eyes away. As I a thought that for a great human injustice. I thought I was really impressed. I was like, whoa, <laughs> okay, I'm gonna start taking notes. <laughs> I thought that was that's such a like, even though we're referencing Picasso, but yeah. I think the way your son put it, it's like Denise does this painting by the title, it speaks of enslaved people and the tens of millions that were, you know, had the same experience, yet they're not present. And yet it's a testament to those 400 years, to those, you know, those years. And to me, when he, when you told me that, I'm like, wow, like this is another reading that just brings it all back together. You know, this painting in itself feels like the testament to to this, this, this this trauma. Right. Um, And in, in a subtle way, without being without taking advantage of the bodies but yet expressing everything in it you know yes and it sounds like a brilliant kid you have (laughs) (laughs) he's looked at a lot of art in his life (laughs) well and let's hope that her work and maybe that piece in particular gets brought into the scholarship and the conversations enough that it gets the mileage that Guernica's had and the impact you know like get it into that into that conversation, into that dialogue. Thank you all for taking the time to listen in on this insightful conversation. And much thanks to Gaetan, Sarah, and Essie for expanding the conversation around this exhibition and the life and work of Denise Tomasos. Work in Progress is generously supported by the Canada Council for the Arts Digital Now grant. For those who want to learn more about Denise Tomasos' Odyssey, visit aggv.ca.